welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Welcome to this episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you join us here for the next hour. And don't forget to share the podcast on social media with your friends and colleagues. Now, I often get emails complimenting me on the podcast, which I always appreciate. But if you really want to show your appreciation, the best thing to do is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those Ratings and reviews are extremely helpful, and they're greatly appreciated by us. And they really do matter in the rankings of the show. They also help other people find the podcast. And obviously, I also love to hear what's been helpful. So if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, and all you need to do to leave a review is to scroll to the bottom of the page and click on the link, leave a review. Now, on with today's show. My guest today is Paul Deere hairstylist, a salon owner, an amazing educator, an inventor of the chisel. More about that in a minute. Paul's a friend of mine that I've known for a long time. And not only is he a great hair cutter, but he has an immense amount of experience in the industry. So it's great to have this opportunity to share his wisdom and insights and his down-to-earth approach. In today's podcast, we'll discuss the key to staying motivated during a long career why it's important to continually reinvent yourself, what it takes to build a strong salon culture, closing his salon every alternate Saturday, and the chisel, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Paul Deere. Thanks, Anthony. It's, uh, it's Anthony, I know that. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, mate. I've been hanging out to have a chat with you. And as I said to you before, I listened to the podcast most Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings, I think, sometimes in the UK when I'm walking the dogs. So That's I'm really hanging hanging out a big chat with you. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. And I know you've got a lot to uh, share, uh, a lot of um, experience to share with, uh, with our audience today. So uh, let's start off the way I always start these things, which is by getting you to sort of introduce yourself. So who is Paul Dare? Give us your sort of two or three minute backstory and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into that a bit more. Who is Paul Dare? It's a good question. Uh, went into hairdressing, but I was born in the UK. Yeah, went into hairdressing um, because I was a creative individual um, and I thought that, you know, being involved with a bunch of women was a great idea at the time, to be honest. Um, it sort of drove me down that pathway, creativity and females. It's absolutely winning, winning direction to go in. I'd spent three years uh, working in the salon. I was very fortunate to have walked into a salon that, you know, I had no idea whether it was good, bad or different. Uh, it turns out it was very good. And I got taught uh, incredibly well and went on to be the best precision cutter you could ever think of until I found that, you know, a guy in the UK called Trevor Sorby who, who told me to break all the rules, which is fantastic, uh, and showed me how to use a razor. I started cutting the wolf, man. Cut my hands quite a few times. Razor's pretty bloody sharp, mate, I tell you. And uh, I wasn't taught how to use a razor, but you know, I taught myself how to use a razor. Um, then I went on 
my travels. Uh, went out, went out through Europe, um, and eventually ended up in Australia. Um, had a fantastic time in Australia. Did a working holiday, stayed there a year. Wasn't allowed to stay. Had a great time. Went back to the UK. Worked in North London for three years. Took me three and a half years to get a visa. Then came back to Australia. Um, helped uh, a group here uh, set up their academy. Worked for them for four and a half years before going into business myself. Um, in the, on that journey, I was picking up awards, of which we were in com- competition together for at some stage. And that was fantastic. And then when you do win awards, you get asked by the multinationals to get on platform. So I started my, my platform career. I uh, worked for uh, Goldwell and Weller. They toured me around the country. Um, but I really found my passion was, was passing on my knowledge that I found early in my career was um, learn the rules, break the rules. And I find a lot of hairdressers learn the rules and can't break the rules or they don't learn the rules properly. So I started teaching a course called Cut Like a Master class. Um, and I've had a great time doing that. Um, and I've taken that all over the world pretty much. Um, and part of my journey was to develop a tool called the chisel. And it was never my intention to to invent a tool for the industry. I just needed a tool that would make hairdressers look at me on platform and say, what the hell is he cutting hair with? He's a dickhead. And it had that effect. They'd see me cutting hair with a wood chisel and they'd say, you're an idiot. But when they saw the end product, they're like, that's pretty cool. I like the approach. I like the finish. And can I buy one? So I started selling these wood chisels, which are pretty dangerous because if they got wet, they might slip out of your hands. They might, you know, stick in the client's head, which is not a good thing, which led me on another journey of industrial design. So I worked with an industrial designer and uh, he was fantastic. We went through this whole journey of creating this new tool, um, which, you know, we started off maybe $70,000 was what it was going to cost me. It ended up being $250,000. So <laughs> we went a little over budget. Um but we brought this tool to the industry uh, just to prove a point. It doesn't matter what you used to cut hair, as long as you understand how to cut hair, which was the thrust of my, my education. And if you know the basics, you know how to break the basics, and you know how to use all the tools in the industry, then this tool is just allowing you to step right out of your comfort zone. And it did that trick. It really did give me the results that I wanted, the story that I wanted, and my $250,000 I got back in the first year. And, and then that took me on another journey on doing shows all over the globe uh, with the chisel, which was quite a deal of fun. And my work in the salon, three and a half days a week, half a day I spend teaching my team. One day I spend in the office. It's not my favourite job, but I have to do that. I do employ others to do book work and stuff, but I do like to be involved within the business environment. So I spend the day uh, there. Then I travel a country doing Cut Like a Master. And we've just finished filming Cut Like a Master class, which we will launch later in 2020 uh, as an online course, which is really super exciting. So it's pulling up all, all that knowledge and all that 20 years of masterclassing into an online course. So Good. that's really exciting. 
Okay, so, well, lots of stuff there you've touched on that I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to dig into deeper, um, because yeah, you've got a lot of experience. You've touched on a lot of different areas in the industry already, and um, you know I want to I want to start asking you some more questions about those things so that we can sort of unpack what they're all about. So, so, yeah. so to start with, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, we are of a uh, of the same generation, um, a, a similar age. I think I'm a little bit older than you. But um, that's that's nothing that's that's nothing for me to be particularly proud of. It's just the reality. Uh, but the, the the point is this: is that I'll often talk to salon owners, and the first thing that they say to me is they want to come off the floor and stop doing clients. And for some of them, that definitely is the right thing for them to do. And then other times, I talk to someone who, you know, like yourself, they've been doing clients for thirty plus years. And they still love it, and they're looking forward to, to breaking new ground. So, what what I want to ask you about, or what I want you to talk about, is is why is it that you are still passionate to be behind the chair, thirty five odd years after first starting behind the chair doing clients? You, you know, I, I, because I know from our earlier conversation, uh, um, you know, before we started recording, that you still love doing clients, you know, and as you just said, three days a week behind the chair. So, so, so talk to us about that. I went into hairdressing to be an artist, uh, pure and simple, uh, and I learned the, the, the rules of hair manipulation. And I have a, a power now over, you know, 40 odd years of hairdressing to look at a face and look at a bone structure, look at a hair type, look at a growth pattern, uh, look at a hair type, um, and I can deliver a bespoke haircut. And I know there are very few hairdressers who have that ability. They can't, and I just get a buzz out of having this person walk in as a new client in my chair uh, and absolutely blowing them away. It's the best feeling you can ever have, and you know that, that their return is going to be 100%. Um, and I deliver that, my message, my journey, I deliver it to all my clients <laughs> as well. You know, I'm educating my client about what is a good and what is a bad haircut, what, what, what makes it work, why were you unhappy at the, at the last place that you went to, what didn't they understand, they, they didn't consult with me, Paul, or they didn't look at my hair enough, Paul, or they didn't show me any images, Paul. So I find that my clients are then educating other people to come into the salon, not just to see me, um, you know, they come and see the other team players as well. But I really, I get a kick out of it. I always have, and I will continue to do so. Um, and especially when you've got clients that you might know, you know, that they come into the salon. And, you, you know, most salons, the staff be running out the back door because this, this client's coming with super curly Afro hair. And they're like, oh, my God, what do I do with that, you know? Um, so I like, I like challenging. And I like super curly, super frizzy, super straight, super thick. Nothing's uh, intimidating to me. And then when I'm working on the salon floor, I'm educating not just my client, I'm educating my team. Because my team will come over and they will watch me consult. They will watch me present this haircut to the client. They will watch the end product. Um, and they all get a buzz. Or if they're, if they're not looking at me, that their eyes are coming across when they're doing the client next to me. So just the whole salon's philosophy is about understanding exactly what you do from the ground up and yeah. you, and, and, and it's just fantastic. I love it. So when you say that, you know, very few hairdressers have that ability, um, are you talking about a technical ability that they've learned technique or is it 
an ability to look at a person and to genuinely understand what is going to suit them from both an aesthetic point of view mm. and during the consultation, finding out who they are as a person. Like, like yeah. which is it? Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's all of them. You know, right. you have to have, yeah. you have to have, you have to have the skill. Uh, in the beginning, you get that, that, that understanding, but then the consultation process is another thing. But part of the education of the team is looking at face shape and bone structure and hair type and growth pattern, as well as what age is this person, as well as what sort of personality is this, is this person, as well as how do they present themselves in, in a fashion way. Yeah. You know, so you, 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 you understand every facet of the customer and then you deliver that something they, they could never have imagined before. I've got clients that come in who would be, you know, 60 and they say, you're the first person <laughs> in my 60 years, Paul, who's ever understood what I want from a hairdresser. Yeah. You know? So that's why I'm passionate about the teaching aspect of it because I cover all those aspects when I'm teaching yeah. to understand all the factors of, of delivering a perfect haircut. Yeah. I don't give all my, I don't give all my clients a bob. Mm. So what, what, what's the key? You know, you've been hairdressing, I don't know exactly how many years. I know it's more than 30. Um, Same as you. What, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's more than 30, isn't there? <laughs> uh, what, 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 what's the key for you staying motivated? Because, you know, a lot of people after 30 years behind the chair, I mean, I meet them all the time, and they <clears> go, or, or they, they don't even get, I'll, I'll talk to young hairdressers. And they'll say, well, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 30. And I'm like, my God. You know, what's the key for you? You know, because you're not 30 anymore, okay. but you're still very uh, motivated not. and passionate about it. So, so yeah, what is right, the key right. to staying motivated? Okay, so diversity, I'd say. Absolute diversity. Okay. So bottom line, I'm working behind the chair. And then it was like the Schwarzkopf Hairdressing Awards came along and it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to show them I'm the best. So you get into photographic work than to styling and session work and working with the makeup artist and working with the fashion stylist and working with an amazing photographer and creating these images. And that was uh, a side issue to what I was doing on the salon floor, but it, it got me a lot of notoriety. I mean, I won my fair share of awards doing that. Um, it's going onto the, onto the teaching floor. Diversity again is like, how do I teach? Am I good at teaching? <laughs> and I know in the beginning I was crap because I was trying to give too much information rather than prepare it back and go, let's start with the basics. Mm. You know, I, did, I was working at a high level in the industry and when I'm doing a class, I thought that all the people in the audience, I'm trying to pitch myself to who I thought was the best in the audience and it went over the heads of everybody else. So I learned to then pair that back to the basic knowledge I learned a lot from that, and that's why I still like teaching. Um, going into industrial design, like was <laughs> never on my. But it's just diversity. So my hairdressing life has been very diverse, which is why I still like snippets of everything. You know, yeah. like filming, working in front of a camera. You know, I was working with these this film crew, and they're like, "Okay, well, it doesn't matter how many takes we do, Paul, right?" Um, but just as long as you're comfortable. And I'm quite confident I could do it in one take. Yeah. And they said, that's amazing. 
I think we, we got it in one take, but we'll do two or three just in case, you know, just yeah. in case you prefer. For the, so it's, that's just things that you build up. So there's a massive diversity. Working in the, in, in the, the office, someone never really interested me, but, you know, you've got to understand a P&L statement. So um, you've got to talk to your team players on a regular basis. So all those managerial skills, you've got to learn. You know, so again, it's it's that diversity of working within the hairdressing industry. Yeah. Um, but but I would never say my clients get really nervous. <laughs> They're like, "So when are you going to retire?" I'm like, well, it's not it's not a word I've got in my vocabulary." Retirement, you know, it's just I just enjoy the whole industry and every facet that I get involved in. Mm. I was going to ask you. Why is it important to continually reinvent yourself? But I think you've just answered that because it's sort of a loop, isn't it? It's like, you know, I asked you, what's the key to staying motivated? And really, you've talked about reinventing yourself, that diversity completely all the time, like like not dining out on on the past, reinventing who you are, because that keeps you more motivated. The more motivated you are, the more you want to reinvent yourself. So it's this, this, uh, you know, positive loop. Um, and I'm, and I'm, a, I'm my biggest critic. So when I do present work or I do a haircut or I do a photo shoot or I do some filming, I destroy myself, you know, because I can do better. You can do better than that, Paul, you know. So that always pushes me as well to, to yeah. go a step further than the next time, you know. Um, even though you, you sort of take a step back and you think, well, actually, it was actually quite good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about is that, I always think that it's really important to be careful about how much you dine out on the past. Now, what I mean by that is that just because something was done a certain way in the past doesn't mean that it isn't up for a rethink today. And both you and I have a lot of experience in in the industry, but what are some of the things, sort of attitudes and working practices that you see happening today that are a definite improvement and on the flip side of that, what do you think a new generation of hairstylists need to be careful about discarding in terms of, you know, the way that we work? The past is important, but the future is more important, to be honest. Um, I look at, I've looked at my early education and I've reinvented all of that. So when we've brought the cut, the cut like a masterclass to the market, I've simplified many, many things. Um, to try and uh, make life a bit easier. If I look at today's uh, youth, they want it fast. They want it now. They want it. They want to. I speak to people and I say, "How long will it take to become a hairdresser?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, maybe six months." And it makes me smile. But that's the mentality: is they want to learn really, really quickly. The yeah. apprenticeship when I when I first came uh, into Australia, uh, in South Australia, was four years. Now it's three and a half. Now you can do a one-year course. So they want that, that speed of, of, of gratification. Mm. The problem you have there is, there is there is a point where you can learn too quickly and not effectively enough. You know, they don't um, understand the basics properly. It's not delivered properly. They're not understanding what they're, what they're all about. So they everything becomes simplified. And I look at... Um, the hairdressing or the, the most popular hairstyles of today are very simplistic. You know, that ability to cut hair is, is, is sadly missing, you know. Um, they all want to be their own boss. 
no, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think that's definitely a step forward where people want to control their own environment. You know, like the salon suites uh, are bigger in the world. They are coming to Australia. There's, there's certainly um, Melbourne and Sydney that's happening. I don't think there's any in Adelaide yet um, where you can c- control your own environment. I would always be in favour of chair rental than a suite because I think it's nice to be involved with a group of people. Um, and we've actually dabbled with that ourselves. Um, and, the, and the person we have as, as a, 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 a chair renter is actually older than me. <laughs> Um, but he's had many, many businesses himself, you know, so he's got to a point where he just wants to work in the salon environment. That's got a bit of buzz. Um, and I think the youth want that as well, that, you know. Um, I don't think I could work in the salon suite on my own. I think I'd shoot myself. Um, so the future the future is positive. I think hairdressers are um, quite motivated, but I think they could end up – cutting their, their, their career short because they don't have enough knowledge or they're not reinventing themselves enough, as we said before. I think it's really important that you utilise all aspects that the industry has to offer. I know at, the, at our college here, uh, perming is an elective. You don't have to do it. At all? So a, at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, you want to do, if, you want, if you want to do it, they'll teach it. To me, you know, everyone's been trying to get perming off the ground again. You know, and um, I think it has its place. You know, I perm here, um, and it, it can give a really soft movement. It can give a lot of volume. You know, and it's something that's really still relevant, but it's not being taught. You know, if I look at the the basic breakdown of, of youngsters today, that that those building blocks are not strong enough. But they got they're motivated and they want it. So every class that I go into, they suck it up. But I take them back to that that basic understanding, and they understand that yes, yes, Paul. I think what you're saying is absolutely true, and I need to revisit my core education before I can move forward. So everyone's yeah. competing for the same client these days. Yeah, as that as a, as a generalisation, what sort of education do you find people most want today? Is it is it that fundamental stuff? Yes. So every class I teach, I take them on my journey. Yeah. I take them on my journey. And at the end of it, I want them to analyze themselves and say, you know what? I know very little. Yeah. And that's what what I get. So I'm not there to belittle a class. I want the class to realize that they have limited skill set. So if you come into my class, and kind of like a master is – we work with multi-tools. So that person can't use a razor. That per- person can't use texturizing scissors. That person can't cut straight line. So we work with all these things. And I'll say, can you work with this tool? No. Well, I said, that's what you're going to use in my class. But I can't use it. I said, no. But by the time we finish the class, <laughs> you'll have an understanding of what it's all about. And I said, we work with mannequin heads. And I said, don't. we're not going to end up with all these mannequin heads looking exactly the same. Mm. We're going to work with a mannequin head. They're all going to look different and they're all going to look shit because you're learning from your mistakes. We're going to make all these mistakes, but it's an understanding that you can walk away and go, you know what? The razor is a pretty good tool or that chisel is pretty interesting for us. Really bizarre. And I work with just a first year apprentice on how to just section hair, how to comb hair, how to hold the scissor, how to hold the comb. So in all my classes, they're all different haircuts. I don't go and teach a haircut. I'm trying to teach them to understand technique and tools. 
And the feedback forms that I get, which I give out after every class, are always outstanding. Mm. And they've always said, the last class I did here, they wanted to learn how to do a shag with a razor. So I taught them how to do the shag with a razor, with a real twist on, on, on the change of angles. And we started talking about my journey and, and a graduated bob. And they said, can you do a graduated bob? I said, no problem. <laughs> so we've gone from a very textured, long shag haircut to a very precision, detailed um, graduated bob. And they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. I've never seen that done before. So I think a lot of them haven't had the opportunity to be uh, around educators that can give them that knowledge. Uh, they're learning I, I, from a book or they're learning from a video. Yeah, I was going to say that it's, I mean, we've both been in the industry long enough to see how, you know, trends, I mean, you know, different different companies put out their new collection every six months. But in reality, yeah. trends don't change, you know, that quickly. Uh, that's no. just the harsh reality of it. But in the last, well, pretty much the last 20 years, no matter where you are in the world, in varying degrees, it's all been about long hair. So compared to, you know, in the 80s or 90s, I think the ability of hairstylists today to color hair is a lot better. I think uh, the ability to, to dress hair is a lot better, but their ability to cut hair is nowhere near as good, but that's because they're simply not getting the practice because, you know, the, the average girl on the street out there, no matter which country you're in, uh, they, they predominantly have longer hair, yeah? So a, a question that sort of comes off the back of that is that, you know, salon owners I talk to, no matter where I am in the world, they are often complaining about the technical ability of their team. And they usually blame, you sort of touched on this a minute ago, they usually blame the colleges or, or, the, or the beauty schools, depending on what country you're in, but the terminology is different. But, but I firmly believe that as yeah. a salon owner, it's part of your responsibility to, to train or organize someone else to train your team. Now, I know from 100%. when we- 100%. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know when we last spoke that, that you make quite a commitment to training with your team. So, so tell us what that's all about. Like, you know, what, what I've just sort of outlined there, dig into that a little bit and give us your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think, I think um, you need the colleges and I work in collaboration with my college. So they, they, they're quite happy for me to teach my team how to cut hair, but they want to make sure that that biological and chemical side of, uh, of education is done by them clearly, which we still back up on. But every week, every week in the salon on a Wednesday from one o'clock till four o'clock is training. Right. So I don't, I don't rely, I don't rely on the college to make my staff strong. Yeah. I, re I rely on me in collaboration with the colleges to make my staff strong. Yeah. So I know it is absolutely 100% up to me to have a great staff member. Yeah. It always amazes me, you know, whether I'm talking to people in the US or the UK or Australia or whatever, the amount of salon owners that actually don't realize that that's their responsibility. They, they think yeah. that the college or the beauty school, that it's their role and that they're failing because they haven't produced these great, you know, technicians. And it's like, yeah. listen, honey, you wanted to open up a salon, you know, this is, this goes <laughs> with the turf. And this is yeah, part of totally. your job description now. Yeah. No, totally. Or they, or they, need, they need to go and seek. Uh, people who have who have got strong educational ethics 
and yeah. go and engage them. So people engage me to go into their salon. Yeah, exactly. To, motiv- to, to motivate their team. Okay, there's a cost factor. And I yeah, think that the salon has to realize that you have to allow so much money per year for yeah. the education of your team. So like, like with me, I'm doing it myself, but I could be doing uh, clients all afternoon. Yeah. You know, so, so I forgo that. But in Australia also, I've got to pay my staff member to teach them. <laughs> so I teach them, I lose money, but at the end of the day, I've got really solid staff. And it's not quick, Anthony. It's not a quick no, exactly. process. Yeah. yeah. It's so a never-ending for, process. For me, oh, no. for me to get somebody up to uh, understanding all the fundamentals of, of cutting, coloring, um, perming, upstyling, realistically, you're looking at five years. Yeah. To be a well-rounded hairdresser. Once you've done your apprenticeship, that's your foundation. Then you start learning, really. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it, I, it's, I don't rely on anybody. If I, if I want a specialist uh, upstyler, then I might get them in and we have them in the, to, the, to the salon to, yeah. to go do the team. And so it's like I, don't, I, I think that I have to maintain strength, uh, and that's the way I do it. I teach my own team, and we bring in specialists. Yeah, and, and, and the rest you- of the world – Sorry, I was going to say, you know, that, that that is the other side of it. It's not necessarily your responsibility to train them, but it's your yeah. responsibility to make sure that they get the training so that if you're not going to yes. do it, you've got to make sure you're bringing in other people to, to, to do that. Yeah. Exactly. And which we do. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk more about the chisel because you touched on that at the beginning, and I know that that's something that you're – you're well known for and i was one of those people that when i when i first saw you using it uh, you know that i looked at it and i thought i mean i i would like to think that i have a very open mind about this there's a there's a um a story which uh i, I don't know how much of it's folklore and how much of it is is uh, is is truth i know that it's based in truth and it was a story about in the 70s um in london on the uh, you know big hairdressing show at the Albert Hall, that there were a group of hairdressers from Sassoon's that all got up on stage and they were all you know using little three-inch blades and taking minute sections and you know this was in the seventies and like doing really disciplined technical shapes and the, then one of them, a, a guy by the name of Flint, uh, he got on stage with his model. And he just pulled it all up into a ponytail and, um, you know, on, into the, 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 the top of her head and, and whacked it off with, I don't know, some big dressmaking scissors or something. He, he whacked off like the top of it. Then it fell down into what's essentially layers. Uh, then what he did was he got, um, now I'm told it was a broken glass. Okay, that he got broken glass and then started slicing into it around the face, and uh, and then that he got something else, uh, you know, some other tool. Okay, and so it was, and and the end result was this long layered, you know, tussled beautiful hair. But his whole message was about you can use anything to cut hair with when you have the technical knowledge and the technical background as to the cause and effect of what you're doing. So when I saw you cutting hair with a chisel, I, I, I was intrigued. Interestingly enough, the name of it sort of stops a lot of people embracing it. Because if you didn't call it a chisel, people wouldn't have, maybe, because especially when you see it now, it doesn't look like a woodworking chisel. You know, it looks no. like some, it looks like a completely different tool that, yeah. 
you know, it's sort of more like a razor that's built differently to a razor. Um, yeah. so, so look, t- tell us about the chisel. Why is, I suppose, here's my number one question. Why is the effect that a chisel gives different to what a razor gives? Okay. Well, there's, there's like this guy Flint, as you said, um, it was right. It's, it's irrelevant what you cut hair with. Completely irrelevant. As, you, as long as you understand what you're doing. There's no right anymore and there's no wrong anymore, but there is still a balance uh, with a haircut and a face shape. But what you use, immaterial. And that was the journey for utilising a tool that was outside of our industry that is still used in a very sculptural way. It's used in art. It's used for woodworking sculptures. It's worked in you know, stone. It's used in a creative way. And I thought, well, there you go. I'll give it a crack. Uh, and I remember taking this. It was a massive chisel that I bought uh, from the hardware store. And I was cutting hair at Hair Expo. Uh, and Tim Payne, who owns, who is passed now, unfortunately, he owned Excellent Edges. He came over to me and said, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm cutting hair with this chisel. He said, nah, mate, I'll get you. I'll get you the best Japanese woodworkers tool. So we did do that. And then we started cutting hair. And it was just the freedom. Like you say, he was cutting hair with a piece of broken glass, which could be a bit dangerous, as much as the real chisel was a bit dangerous. But it just gave us this this different approach. The difference is, in, in the very first stages of working with the chisel, we only ever cut short hair. It was only short, sort of semi-punky sort of haircuts. My mm-hmm. interpretation of Trevor Sorby's Wolfman. Um, but what you did is you stabbed the hair off. You took a horizontal section, mm-hmm. you pulled it away from the head, and you stabbed the hair off. <laughs> yeah. And, and as, as a hairdresser who'd been cutting straight lines for such a long time, it was so much fun. It's just so much fun. And you could sculpt any shape you like, and it was just and beautiful. But the difference in the texture is I use a razor a lot as well. I like my razor. Um, the razor is a very soft finish. It's a very sharp, sharp uh, blade and gives you a very soft finish. The chisel blade is five times thicker than a razor blade. Mm-hmm. Now, when you punch that through the hair or you stab that hair off, you get a much more chunky texture in the hair. Okay. Um, and then I, I always thought that, you know, when I was taught to layer hair, it was always with vertical sections. Uh, but how about we work with horizontal sections <laughs> but not use a pair of scissors? Um, and we stabbed the hair off, and it was just it was just lots of fun. Mm. And then we and then obviously it was there was nothing made for the industry, so I thought okay. So we bought all these industrial chunky razor blades that we then taped to the end of the chisel, and there we are chopping hair off in the salon <laughs> with the razor blades gaffer taped to the end of a chisel, and like incredibly dangerous, but. Yeah. We started to understand, but clients came back and clients said, "Can you cut my hair with that thing again?" Because I just, I just love the texture that you gave me. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, there is merit in doing um, something for the industry purpose built with a disposable blade. Because the original chisels, we had, we used to stand there in the in the salon and we'd have a stone next to us on the bench, and we'd like strop it across the stone to make it sharp. And and clients were intrigued. You know, it was great PR for the salon. We got a lot of PR out of it, in fact. It actually dragged a lot of clients in because nobody else was using cut hair with these chisels. But the big difference is the texture of the end of the hair. 
and you punch the hair off. And now we've progressed into medium length hair and long layers. Okay. So uh, I was doing that show in Denmark and they gave me five models. They said, here you go. And I said, great, we go, this is going to be spectacular. I'm going to chop all the hair off on stage. And they said, well, no, you're not. I said, what? <laughs> I need to cut all the hair short because it's a short hair tool. And they're like, nah. So what I did is I came up very quickly <laughs> with a way of cutting long layers. <laughs> and I thought, this is fun. And I actually didn't use a comb. I used my fingers to take the, take the sections. I used my fingers to comb the hair. And I came down the hair shelf and I'm carving these shapes into the hair. And it's a, it's, it's a fun tool, but it's not the only tool I use. So people yeah. sort of say, you're the chisel man. I said, yes, but, you know, I've got clients that want a straight edge. I use a straight blade. Yeah, and there's clients who want a slightly softer edge. I might use my razor. Yeah. And there's clients who want a really fractured uh, and choppy edge. You know, I use my chisel. So it's yeah. it's a tool. So w- what percentage of the time in the salon would you use the chisel? Well, like, would you do you use it every day, two or three times, or or after time, or what? Uh, yeah. If you look at 100 percent of clients in the week, I probably would use it on 20 percent. Okay. 20%. Okay. And, the, the and, the, and so the, the, feed, the feedback is they want that tool. They've had it. Yeah. They want it. Um, if I'm like the most used tool in my, in my kit is probably my texturizing system. Yeah. And would you say to someone listening to this, a young hairdresser listening to this, that before you pick up a chisel, you need to understand the fundamentals of working with scissors and combs and sections and being able to understand, you know, um, uh, you know, how to layer hair and what hair looks like three dimensionally before they can pick up a, a tool like that and just start working more visually. That's a fantastic question, Anthony, because um, I think sometimes you're actually better off giving them a tool like that to start off with. Okay. To actually just, just to let them, go crazy you know um so when they go to a, a trade school it happens for different straight lines and, blah, 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 and sometimes they just need to see what happens like i gave the chisel to my to my son <laughs> and uh, i gave him a mannequin head and i said yeah. off you go off you go i showed him how to use it right he was how, how, how old is he at this point and that oh, i reckon he would have been uh six Okay, yeah. <laughs> and he just, because he saw me, and he's, and he's just whacking hair off, you know. And he got to a point, and I'm like, she had a good haircut. <laughs> but he kept, he kept going, and he messed it all up again. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes I think people need to uh, just be creative. Like, don't worry about the rules. Just let, let loose and just see what happens, mm. you know. And I think they can learn just as much. Yes, I still think they should be understanding the discipline side of of, of the arena, but sometimes just let them go and just let them have a crack at it and see what happens. Yeah. Sometimes rules, you know, I generally say to people, learn the rules first and then you can break them because you know, you know, the cause and effect of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those rules are so, you know, implanted in your psyche that you actually, you find it difficult to break them because it's a rule. Totally. But but when you totally. give a six-year-old six or a twenty-year-old who's never used anything before, they have no preconception of it, and then exactly. they'll just pick up things and approach it in a in a freer, looser way. And they'll either do something great or they'll make mm. an absolute mess of it. Would be my yeah. my my take yeah. on it. 
uh, well, most of them make a mess of it. But if I make a mess of it, they'll, they'll, you can then come back and sort of say, this is what's gone wrong. Yeah. You know, maybe you should have layered this more here or, or left it more solid here. Or, but you, I think you can look at a really me- a big mess yeah. and then come back, to ba- come back to basics from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so sometimes we do have a, like, I let, let the kids have a creative night, just do it like I don't care. You know? well, I mean, we yeah. burn hair off. That's a, that's a bit of fun. Um, but as I say, it's just it's understanding balance and proportion, which you do need to understand. And I yeah. think most people I teach are products of their institution. And as mm. you said, they can't break the rules that they've been taught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because maybe, maybe, maybe they've not been allowed or they get themselves into such a comfortable spot that it's, they just can't go against the grain. Yeah. You know? And if they, don't, if they don't go against the grain, they're only ever going to do those haircuts that they've been taught in that institution. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, well, and my, my institution was very, very good, very solid, basic work. But then I had mentors that said, said, no, we'll chuck that all out and then let's do this work with it. So well, I worked with a razor I never had done before, you know. It's just like, wow. Yeah. This is, what do you mean? It's, it's, what, why is it wrong? It's not wrong. Yeah. Well, I, I went on your uh, website, which I'd encourage people to. I'll, I'll put the website links in the show notes, et cetera, at the end of this. But, um, you know, before we got on the call, I went on your website and, uh, you know, I was watching a video there of you doing a, a haircut with a chisel. And, you know, for people that are listening to this thinking, oh, my God, that's just ridiculous cutting here with a chisel. Just forget that it's called a chisel. Just forget that for a minute. And imagine it's got some new name that's never been heard of before because it doesn't really look like a chisel, although, you know, you can see where the influences come from. But when you watch Paul do this haircut on this video on his his website, it's just a beautiful, soft, little textured, you know, very commercial, beautiful haircut. So I would encourage people to to uh, keep their mind open about that and have a look at it because, as Paul said a couple of times, it's not what you use. It's um, you know, it just just if you just limit yourself to one tool, you limit yourself uh, an awful lot. So you know, learn everything, and then obviously you'll be drawn towards some things more than others. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the chisel? Because I want to talk to you about business for a minute. As I say, Anthony, just go and, just go and check it out. I mean, it's it's a, it's a tool that. When people first <laughs> pick it up and hold it, they go, "Oh, where the batteries go?" I mean, no, it's not that sort of tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does look a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. okay. It's like no, 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 no. Said, but you know, I said no. It's you, you, you are the batteries. You know, you, you, you stab the hair off, and yeah, uh, it's confront. It's confronting. Yeah. It's like the first time I picked up a razor, it was confronting because yeah. I just knew nothing about it. Uh, the chisel. Same thing. People look at it and go, "What the?" You know, it's like, "What do I do? How do I? What do I do with that?" You know? Yeah. You know. So it's it's. I never knock anything ever until I've tried it. Mm. Well, it's a, so it's if a, I try it uh, and I think, "No, I don't like it," then fair enough. I've tried it, but I would never bag anything or tool wise unless I've tried it myself. Yeah, I think you know? that's a good a good lesson. Okay, so. Um, you've had a salon for how long? 25 years? 30 years? 89. I set the salon up. Okay. So a long time ago. What? Yeah. <laughs> so that 31. 40, yeah, to, yeah. A long time. <laughs> Whatever. <ago>. Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. What, what do you wish you'd known before you'd opened a business? Oh, probably more business management. <laughs> okay. In what? And to cut, context? Uh, 
oh, an old context. Right. <laughs> um, um, like your profit and loss context, uh, your people context, your, uh, your HR side of things, um, all aspects. You know, I mean, I go into hairdressing to be a hairdresser. And the only reason I went into, I never wanted to be my own business. The only reason I went into my own business is because there was, I wanted to stay here and there was no one here that was really worth working for at the time, you know. Um, the last salon I, I worked with, um, they actually fired me. <laughs> Um, but then I can look back now and, and understand where the falling out came and we're now really good friends. Yeah. Um, but there was nowhere else we could go. So I had to set up my own business. So um, you, you go into it and say, geez, I'm a good hairdresser. I've got, I've got to be successful. And you forget there's all those other aspects that you've got to, you've got to understand. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to balance the till, you know, simple stuff like that. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I came to do, you know, an Anthony Whitaker course and grow my salon business, which was something I would have liked to have done when I set my business up. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. give you that fundamental, found, the fundamental foundations of how to run a business. Just because yeah, you're a good hairdresser. I would have liked to attend the same course. <laughs> you know, that's why I ended so, up doing what, what I did or what I do. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was um, it was uh, it's a great experience. It was an amazing experience. We had a good, we had a lot of fun. But I think, yeah, if I went if I, in hindsight, going into business, you need to have some sort of business management course under your belt, so even if it's just the basic stuff. Sure. Um, but I just believed, <laughs> I believed if I worked hard enough, I wouldn't go bust, and I haven't yet. So that's yeah. all right. Yeah, that's yeah. often the business rationale of a lot of owners, that if they get their head down and do enough clients themselves and just keep banking all the money, they won't go bust. But And some of them do sort of survive like that, but it's not a very good uh, – Put it, it's not a good – it's not a business plan, basically, is it? No, 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 no. Yeah. And it's the HR side of things. I'm running your team, you know. It's making sure your team are happy and I'm, I'm having those conversations and sitting with mm. them and I'm growing them. And I was listening to one of your podcasts before we had that, that girl who had all the, all the staff leave. Um, a couple of years ago, I had I had four people that left, mm. you know, um, and I think if I had been a little bit more savvy back then, you know, you probably would have kept at least two of them. Yeah, but okay, so you know, it is what it is. Let's talk about team for a moment because you don't have a salon for you know thirty five odd years. Um, without having learned a lot about that sort of stuff, the people side of it, because I think that's the bit that that all of us, you know, we open a salon based on our, our, our technical and creative ability and we think how hard is it going to be to sort of build a team and attract good people. And then eventually we all realise that that is the biggest challenge that there is. How do you, because I know you you had a much bigger salon than what you've currently got by choice. You've, you've sort of downsized it. Um, how do you create a team culture? What, what, what are the key things that you would say to someone? If you want to build a team culture, this is what you need to be doing. What, what would you say those things were? You've got to, yeah, the strong foundation in this environment is the education that we put out there, Anthony. We just have, we have a lot of fun and a few sad times sometimes because they get quite upset when they don't get it right. But mm. um, it's working as a, as a team unit and making sure that we're all super skilled, you know, um, on all aspects of the industry. And they know that it's going to be ongoing. They know they're going to have to be involved. 
uh, and, and we're also growing them like with the whole Instagram and Facebook and um, encouraging them. We brought experts in to teach my team how to do their, their things properly and grow their own uh, Instagram pages as well as feeding into our Instagram pages. Um, it's just having a, it's like a, it's a bit like a family. You know, we have a, a, a we, we all went out to the winery the other day. We had a great day out and they get very vocal when they've had a few bevies. And um, it's just, it's family. I mean, the culture really is powerful, powerful education. And they know, they know the strength that they have. And I, and I compliment them on a regular basis. Um, we've just moved two of the team players up to senior stylists, which they absolutely love. You know, um, which is driving them to be principal stylists. They really, really enjoyed um, moving up the ladder. You know, we're about to employ another apprentice at the bottom rung, and 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 the whole team will be involved in the choice of that person. Um, they are very involved with the sound environment on all aspects. Um, I'm not the typical boss that rules with an iron fist. I I, I enjoy their feedback. Um, so we are very much team you know there's no eye in that team okay well it's interesting we've been talking for uh 45 minutes um thus far and i've been very aware that you never use the word staff once you right through the entire conversation you've always referred to them as team and and that's you know one of the things i wanted to to touch on there and and you know as you were just going through that little list then i mean it wasn't a list you were just you know uh, talking out loud and and you know the number one thing you went straight to is education is the key to creating mm. a team culture um, mm. you talked about the importance of complimenting people on their work and acknowledging you know uh, when they do good work you talked about providing growth opportunities you know for uh, promotion within the business you've talked about um, inclusion and involvement in decision making you know should this person join our team or not and you talked about the uh, the social or family aspect, you know. And, I mean, all those things just rolled off your tongue, but they're like a series of bullet points. This is how you create a team culture. This is how you uh, motivate people. And, and that sort of leads into, and I suspect some of the answers are going to be exactly the same here, is that, you know, uh, funnily enough, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and, you know, over, over the years we, you know, we talk about, our generation being the baby boomers. And then we talk about, you know, you know, uh, Gen X and we talk about millennials and now we talk about Gen Z and, and Gen Z as anyone that's between the ages of eight and, um, 24. So, you know, there are, some of them are our current employees into the one, anyone under the age of Gen Z or Gen Z for anyone who's not American. Um, but, but what I was going to say to you was I've often wondered, I wonder what the next generation is going to be called because we've run out of letters in the alphabet. And I heard on this podcast this morning, the first time, and maybe I'm extremely naive here, the first reference to what the next generation after Gen Z is. Do you, do you know what it is? Do you know what they're called? No. no. Alpha. The alpha generation. So it's yeah. anyone under the age of eight at the moment is going to be called the alpha generation. So they're not employees at the moment. We don't need to think about them. But what I wanted to ask you is this, you know, you've got baby boomers in your team. You've got Gen X in your team. You've got millennials in your team, and you've probably got some Gen Z on your team. So you've got the whole sort of gamut there. Uh, the yeah. question is, what do young people want today? 
What are the needs and expectations of those youngsters compared to when you were a youngster or compared to a millennial? You know, how do they differ? Uh, My Gen Z's are uh, the same thing. It just boils down to being hungry uh, and being part of a nurturing environment. I know that uh, my youngest team player is eternally grateful for what we're delivering. Yeah. Uh, Her parents, eternally grateful. So she actually brings her mum and her dad in um, to be models for her. You know, and you can see, and she brought a grandpa in the other day too. It was really funny. Wow. And uh, and he, he and he's uh, he, he cried. You know, he he was just so blown away by how concerned I was about what she was learning. Wow, he, he, it, 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 it really struck a nerve, you know. And the yeah. father, <laughs> he's he's watching her like a hawk because he doesn't want to have his hair messed up. Um, <laughs> so she she's just eternally grateful and she works, she works hard, Anthony. She, as a, as Gen Z, she puts in massive amount of effort um, yeah. because she watched, because everyone's, she looks at me and then the other guy that works here, John, as like her surrogate sort of fathers, you know, <laughs> and then she looks at the girls as maybe her mothers and then the younger ones as her sisters, you know, so it's just this, this team family environment. She just loves it. Um, so what do the youth want? As far as I know, from what we have in here, they want the opportunity, honestly, um, and delivered honestly. But then I, I expect, you know, my pound of flesh back too. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of the work ethic and stuff, you don't find that they're any different today because a lot of people will go, you know, young kids today, they don't work as hard as we did. And I'm always one of those guys who's sort of going, actually, no, that's not the case. I've got two kids that are, I mean, I've got four kids, but two of mine are Gen Z. And I'll tell you what, they work harder than than anyone I know. You know, so I, I'm sort of, you know, curious as to to what that looks like in in hairdressing context. Do they do you find? I, mean, I know it's difficult to make these generalizations, but do you find that young kids coming into the industry today are as motivated and passionate and hardworking as they were ten or twenty years ago? The ones that come to my environment, yes, because we choose wisely. Yeah, you know, we choose very wisely, and we've we've made we've made mistakes, yeah. um, and they have been. Um, a little lazy, <laughs> yeah. But if they're if they're a little lazy, they don't last. <laughs> they're gone. So the ones yeah. who, from my point of view, the ones that are here, stay here because they have that ethic. Yeah, they really do put their effort in. Um, so no, I think I wouldn't say they're lazy. You know, um, I think they're, they're good. Well, all my all my team are hardworking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. H- how do you react? You know, if you've got someone who's been with you five, ten years or whatever, and we've all been down this road as a salon owner, and someone says to you, Paul, I need to have a talk to you. <laughs> and they, they say it in a certain tone of voice where you know exactly huh? what they're going to say, you know, no, that no, they're no, leaving. No, so what I'm going to ask you is, no, how do you react when people leave? Uh, you, have to, you have to thank them for the time they spent with you. The first, the first time it ever happened to me, and I yeah. put so much energy into this kid, I sort of was a little inappropriate, I reckon. I sort of exploded. <laughs> yeah. And, and they were like, they sort of were taken aback tremendously, you know. So I think that was a mistake. But now if they've put the years in, I like to have at least seven years. 
Yeah. And if I get seven, seven years and they leave from seven onwards, I wish them all the best, you know. Mm-hmm. Good luck, whatever venture you're going on. And I've had staff members who work in America, that those who are working in the UK, and um, and they and we have a great relationship still. But I, I haven't mm-hmm. burnt that bridge. I've yeah. appreciated the fact that they've given me the time and the effort. Uh, seven years I get the return on my uh, investment. Mm-hmm. Um and if they stay beyond that, it's fantastic. And if they leave, they leave. I, I, they're not going to live with me forever. Mm. So I don't well, get I, upset anymore. Yeah. I mean, seven years is a, is a long time. Um, mm. I know I was reading somewhere, uh, well, not recently, but last year I was reading somewhere, corporate America, and I know we're, we're talking corporate, not hairdressing. Uh, average mm. person stays in a job in corporate America three years. You know, so if we can, if you can keep someone for seven years in a salon environment, you've done extraordinarily well. I think one of the things that um, to sort of start wrapping up here is when we were having a conversation the other day about this, you, you were talking about your flexibility with your team in terms of their working schedule and yes. uh, and Saturdays, et cetera. And, and, and one of the things that often it comes up when I ask people about, you know, wh- what the young people want today, they'll often talk about flexibility. Um, yes. so, so how flexible are you in terms of your team's working schedule? Uh, we like to we, – we pretty much make them work a 38-hour week, but we break it up into a couple of late nights. But we've, we've actually stopped – opening the business alternate Saturdays, which freaks most people out. And I, what do you mean? I said, because I want my team to have a great lifestyle. So they, every other Saturday, they have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. So have a long weekend wow. every other weekend. And we put it to the team. I said, if the cash flow is impacted by this, we change it. If the cash flow isn't impacted, we'll do it. And it hasn't been impacted. And in fact, we, we're actually generating more income. <laughs> right. And it's, that's amazing. That's so, amazing. So it's so it's like they absolutely love it that the salon actually closes. <laughs> so yes, we uh, close every alternate Saturday. They have a long weekend, a weekend every other alternate Saturday. But to make up for that, that Saturday to be closed, we do a late night on the Tuesday. But what I've found is uh, the, the the staff are a lot more productive. Uh, I want a minimum of a seventy percent busy within the salon environment and they're all they're all achieving that um so when they are here they're more productive as to when we opened on the saturday on the six days and it's quite extraordinary uh, and that spools down to the fact that we are delivering such a powerful product here the clients come when we're open <laughs> yeah you know some got upset that we closed alternate saturdays but they'll come on the other alternate saturdays when we're open or yeah. they'll come on a Tuesday night, you know, yeah. and so the cash flow is not dipped at all. In that's fact, it's probably gone up. Yeah. So, and, so, and so that sort of thing contributes to your good staff retention, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so I, most, say, I was, was going to say, I dare say, if you're closed every second Saturday, it gives clients even more of a reason to pre-book their next appointment. So that helps that. 100%. Help. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I mean, going into Christmas period now, it's like everyone knows <laughs> they got to get themselves booked in. Yeah, um, because they won't, they won't, they won't get us. You know, it's just a simple fact. So um, we are growing the team again slowly, but because of the environment that we have here, I mean, the salon's beautiful. It's big, spacious. It's plenty of space, um, and as I say we offer flexibility of work. Like, like to have a long weekend every other weekend. I don't think anyone else does it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's but, fantastic. 
it's a talking point within the industry again. And it's like, well, you know, and it works, absolutely works, Anthony. And, and they are, they're productive players now. Good. Good. Okay. Well, look, unfortunately, we've sort of reached the end of uh, our call time here. So um, wh- whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram, your website, any other social media uh, channels? If you just want to say what they are now, I'll make sure I also put them in the uh, show notes for today's podcast. But uh, wh- wh- what are your sort of digital platforms that people can reach out to you on? So my Instagram is is fairly new because it's all built into this whole new growth pattern with uh, kind of like a masterclass. I say I'm under Instagram, the Paul Dare, which I thought was quite interesting. And, and um, Dare, D-A-R-E. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Facebook is Paul Anthony Dare. I've got a H in my name, Anthony. Okay. Won't hold that against <laughs> well, they, <laughs> or they can go to uh, the Dare Hair website or the Dare Chisel website. Right. So okay. they will be able to connect on both of those. Right. I'll make sure I put those in the show notes so that people can check those out. Um, so, Paul, to wrap up, have you got any final sort of message, any final words for our, our listeners? Oh, I would have to say enjoy your industry, understand your industry, learn everything your industry has to throw at you before you pass judgment on what you do. But if you learn and, and, and progress, you'll always enjoy it. It's a, it's a fantastic industry. It's done me good for 40 odd years. And people say, how can you be so motivated? I said, cause I love doing what I do because I'm, my, my knowledge is, I'm, I'm sure my brain's not quite kind of coming out of my head soon. I reckon it's so big, but it's just, it's just learning something new on a regular basis, you know, yeah. and I never knock, I never knock anything. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your industry and learn as much as you can. Try all the tools you have to try, try all the techniques you need to try. And it's, it's just, a, it's just fantastic. Good. Okay. Well, on that note, Paul Deere, thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. It's been great to have this opportunity and, and sit here and ask you all these questions. Um, and, you know, I, I learned something. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about your background and your past and your story, but I've learned things today as well. So, Paul, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with the audience on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. It's been a pleasure, Anthony. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.